Spectre Creative Studio. Here we are, episode five. When beginning this journey, I never thought that I would even get past episode one, but because of the graciousness and openness of our guests and the support of our listeners, we have reached a small but important milestone for the show. For this special episode, I found it important to continue our conversation about justice and equality, especially within the legal system. Don't forget that no matter which side you're on, there are powerful people who want to take away your voice, your right to vote, and your freedom. This week, I asked my good friend Nkechi Irandu to come to the show and speak on her experiences and her work to ensure that everyone has the right to be safe and be seen, regardless of race, creed, sex, orientation, or origin. Instead of asking you to spread the word, like our Instagram posts, retweet us, or leave us a review, this week, I'm asking this of you. Think about how you can help empower someone else. Think about how your actions may be contributing to the demise of another person or another group of people. What are the small changes that you can enact to contribute to the equality and equity of all people? And please, please, go vote. If you're not registered, get registered. If you are registered, get out there and help others get registered. Not every conversation on this podcast will be about ensuring justice. Within the next few weeks, we have artists, writers, international business people, and much more coming your way. But it is necessary to have deeper conversations about uncomfortable topics. Having fun and uplifting positivity is just as important as doing the hard work. I thank you all for listening. Here is What's Cool with Nkechi Yorondu. Everybody is enjoying themselves to their fullest extent. It's a wonderful sight seeing people genuinely enjoying themselves. There's no false pretense about this whatsoever. Welcome to What's Cool, a podcast about passions and everything else. I'm your host, Sam Brywill, and I would like to welcome this week's special guest, first-year student at Columbia Law, Nkechi Irandu. Hello, Nkechi. Thanks for being on the show. Hey. Thanks for inviting me. How's it going tonight? It's all right. It's, um, it's been a long day. I realized that law school is literally like a job. I think I work harder in law school than at my job <laughs> when, I, when I had one because it's really, really intense. So I've been doing readings all day long. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, today, like usually I have a weekly schedule. So like Mondays, I know what I'm doing, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, that kind of thing. And since it's Labor Day and Nick is here, it's like completely screwed up my entire schedule. So I have like Sunday scaries on Monday. I'm like, this is not the, this is not the gig. So Sunday scaries on Monday as opposed to Sunday or Sunday yes. scaries on Sunday and Monday? <laughs> um, Sunday scaries every day. If it ends every in day. Y, I got it. I think that's funny, funny, actually. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I'm like, am I going to wake up? And what do I have to do when that happens? Oh my God, everything. But what? horrible news am I gonna get bombarded with today oh my god I'm literally I'm like turn off the phone put it away well because I'm promoting the hell out of this podcast and so it's like a lot of the social media work and a lot of the connecting and just like getting the word out there is entrenched and also having to deal with like seeing people's opinions about stuff that you really like I don't care about or I mean I care about the objects or like the news things but I don't care about their people's opinions so it's just Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like dredging a trench. It's awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, 
we'll have a little bit like an hour of positivity which i'm excited for and that's a that's the point of the podcast is just to get out of that like cycle of crap and just talk about what what do we want to do with the world how are we going to do it and what does it look like so i'm really happy to have you on um when we just to get started off i was kind of curious um you know i said already that you're a first year student at columbia but could you kind of tell me you know what what did you do before you started law school and how did you kind of get there Mm-hmm. Um, well, right. Um, so prior to being a law student, I was working at the Urban Institute Justice Policy Center, but I can even go back even further. Um, okay. Sam and I, we did mock trial together. We did. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I've known you for a long time. <laughs> that was like my first taste of, mm-hmm. um, say, um, you know, what it looks like to be an attorney and and sort of like, and I didn't even realize looking back now as I'm like being, as I am a law school student, um, it's like, wow, that was really intense. We were doing some intense stuff in high school. (laughs) We're doing like case law research. Like it was real. Yeah, it was real. Uh (laughs) Um, So I'm having that realization now, but um, yeah, so I, I went to Stanford and studied political science um, and African and African American studies and, you know, was really passionate just about, um, you know, improving access um, um, to, um, I don't know, just like engaging in the political, in the political sphere to, you know, people who, you know, tend to not, you know, have that access. Right. Um, so, um, so I was really and specifically like the black community, that's the community I care about. Um, so I feel like I left undergrad sort of like not really knowing, knowing what I was passionate about, which is just um, uplifting um, and ensuring that the like, black community in this country can, can thrive, but didn't necessarily know um, how I wanted to um, best uh, um, make sure that that happened. So I guess I, I applied very broadly to jobs after undergrad and ended up getting a job at the Urban Institute Justice Policy Center. Um, and it ended up being a really great fit because um, I think it sort of like had that policy and research blend that was really, um, which is really nice. Um, and, and I also just got to learn so much about the criminal, criminal justice system I did research on, um, you know, families affected by parental um, incarceration. I did research on just like improving uh, or decreasing the use of jails um, in jurisdictions throughout the country. I did um, research on, you know, youth and gang gun violence. And so I just like felt like I sort of got a broader look at the issues in the criminal um, justice system. But what was tough was I felt like I was very far from, I felt detached from the communities I care about. You know, when one of my projects I did, um, we conducted a study on um, young people um, likely to experience gun violence in inner city Chicago neighborhoods, um, the West and South side. So, um, and doing that research and having, coming up with the findings that we had, um, that, felt it felt good in some ways but I also just felt super detached you know like I had like a 30-minute conversation with people conducting the survey and then you know they would go off to their lives and I was like and hearing their stories and you know um 
their experience with violence and just feeling like I couldn't really, I was just coming up with a report. Like that was the end product, a report on um, these young people's lived experiences. So um, I felt detached and so I wanted to be um, able to more directly affect um, that change. And so I, law school was, I felt the way to do that. Um, so yeah, that was a long convoluted answer, but that's how I got here. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's definitely notable. I was gonna say, you know, um, what exactly, so is it like a research center or like a think tank that you were working for or is it a law firm? Like um, Urban Institute is a nonprofit research organization. So okay. um, people think, I think on like Wikipedia, it says that it's a think tank. It's not really, I mean, we're, we are, um, we are primarily a research, a research organization and we also do evaluations as well. I did a lot of evaluations, um, but yeah, we're pretty much like hired, <laughs> like we're kind of like consultants in a way, like yeah. we're hired by um, the federal government or local governments or foundations to um, conduct research, right? Like there's a question that they have, they want answered, and then we will respond to that question, that request for proposal, um, and, and then we'll get the money to do the research, so. Cool. So a lot of it, I see what you're saying, just a lot of like, analyzing data, but not exactly being in the mix of being able to affect people in the long term. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what connected you to want to go to law school to pursue a more, it sounds like in-depth or a more like longevity of making change in people's lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you went to uh, undergrad, you went to Stanford. I mean, I know that because we're friends, but I just want to like put that out there. Um, was it hard or well, what was your experience like going from where we grew up, where, you know, you and I were pretty politically engaged, I feel like even in high school. Mm -hmm. And I think also you and I were probably the only people who had similar views compared to a lot of other people that we were hanging out with and were just in class with. So what was your experience like going to California and having people who were, I don't wanna say like-minded because I don't mean, I don't know if that was necessarily the case, but probably more apt to, um, lean your way or even have conversation where you could actually like talk to people with differing opinions was that mm -hmm. enlightening like how did you what was that kind of experience with that shift mm -hmm. yeah I um that was one of the reasons that I was so attracted to Stanford I knew that um you know I am a first generation Nigerian American and and um there weren't many people who had similar backgrounds as me um where I grew up um which is a small suburb in um outside of Augusta, Georgia. So I just felt like it was, um, sometimes I just didn't feel seen. Um, mm -hmm. So I felt that I was really excited about going to Stanford and, and meeting people at the Admitted Students Weekend who, who you know, had similar backgrounds to me, had similar experiences as me. We had similar passions and I, you know, it was really exciting to be surrounded by people who I felt really did see me and I didn't have, I could be myself completely. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think I really was myself growing up um, where in, in Evans, Georgia, I think it actually took going to um, undergrad and, and being, you know, feeling supported and validated by a community that actually made me feel like, um, I could truly be myself. So it was a really, really positive experience. And one I think I des was so, was so desperately seeking and needed. 
Yeah, I um, I definitely understand that, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like growing up and my experience, which I, you know a lot about, but just like even doing Augusta Pride and even being in that whole thing, it was very, even disconnected to what I feel like I am doing now because it was a much older group of people that I were, you know, I was dealing with. It wasn't like a lot of young people in that sphere, nor was it a lot of young people who were politically active in that way when I was there. And when I went to UGA, I kind of got out of the, uh, I don't know. I just was like, I was over it. I was, I got tired. You know what I'm saying? I just got so worn out and I'm sure you feel the same way, but just like fighting all the time just to feel like you have a validated opinion or even that, like you're saying, being seen or being heard, it's just it's exhausting. And yeah. I, after I went to China and lived there and kind of I was thinking, I think my aha moment or my like found moment or seen moment was when I kind of was not a part of any kind of society. Like when I went to China and I was just a fixture and like an object more than I was a part of like their working society, it brought me out of that like idea of, oh, this is how things are supposed to be, or this is how things have to be or X, Y, Z. And so coming back here, I don't know, it's interesting. In Athens, there's a lot of people who are um, very surface level engaged if that makes sense like performative if you know like vocal on instagram or whatever but at the end of the day aren't really educated or don't really understand the effects of like policy and legislation versus act you know versus going out and not that there's anything wrong with protesting and that's really important but the long-term effects of you know actually getting out there talking to your representatives speaking mm-hmm. voting i mean really let's just say uh, voting in general really? and i think talking to oh i'm sorry no 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 go ahead i was just gonna say the reason that i got into or got more knowledge is because my boyfriend or fiance he is uh he was a poli sci major so he kind of opened the my eyes or opened those doors to be like you know it's it's okay and it's good that you know you're vocal but here's how you actually enact change and here's how you you know you make things last longer than just a year or just for a month or what you know whatever media cycle it is Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even like I think what's very much applicable to your experience in Athens is like, um, especially now, you know, having conversations with say, your family. I mean, that's something that that's where it really can start, um, especially mm-hmm. when you're talking about you know places like Athens or Evans. You know, it, you know, it's I think there are so few people, and I won't say a few. I think it's gotten. Evans at least has gotten more diverse, it seems, but Mm -hmm. I know that it's just so important for people who, you know, grew up without having these conversations, really thinking about what things like white privilege mean and and really not really understanding the history of this country and, you know, how, you know, a lot of this country, I mean, this country has been built on the backs of black people and brown people. And so not really recognizing that and not reckoning with that um i think it very it's it's super important for people who you know especially young people who have done that and are on that journey to you know start pulling in their aunts their uncles their grandparents their parents you know right critical um so for me my experience with that has been like i don't know i'm kind of at a at an interesting point so getting engaged and planning a wedding and having you know, grandparents who are very entrenched in the church and the Baptist church. And also, I mean, like, I kind of like get open and honest on the podcast. So at the point right now, it's like, we're not communicating. I'm not really communicating with them because they have denied coming to 
the wedding because it's against their beliefs or whatnot. And so even though like, it's like, it's easier. I feel like people, it's easier to be racist and to be prejudiced against people who you don't know because you're not connected with those people. You don't see those experiences of what you're, what the consequences of what you're saying is. But I mean, it's been hard to, I mean, especially with the pol- political climate as it is, is, it kind of started with that. And then I think it just culminated with me being like, oh yeah, by the way, don't forget. I know it's easy to forget because you've just seen me, but I'm still gay and I'm yeah. still, you know, marginalized in that way where you guys don't appreciate where I'm coming from. So for me, my, I mean, I just try to be vocal and not in a like in your face kind of, I'm going to start an argument for no reason kind of way, but also like in a no nonsense kind of way of like, you know, you say these things nonchalantly and very flagrantly. And then also at the same time, what you're saying is not true, you know, mm-hmm. and I've, I've read, I've done research and a lot of the, well, a lot of what I like about the podcast and being able to have a platform like this is that I'm able to get a diverse amount of people on here. I want to get diverse voices. I want to make sure there's a lot of different voices amplified. So, mm-hmm. and so I can, so I can learn. And so that other people who listen to the podcast can learn too, you know, and um, it's, it's going to be, I mean, it's just going to be a struggle for a long time. And I think resiliency, that's a word that's been coming up a lot. Like you just have to be resilient and you have to, I think a lot of knowing how you feel and what you really truly believe and what you're willing to stand up for is really important as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, it was very, um, I was thinking about this. It was really important, honestly, growing up to have people like you though, in a friend group where I did feel so ostracized and so out of the group you know and just know that okay like there are other people in the world who even grow up in the same kind of situations you know in the same environment same high school that don't necessarily drink the kool-aid and have i mean you know just because of your experience and my experience like it was just a i don't know an interesting (laughs) it's been an interesting journey i'm unpacking a lot i'm starting therapy tomorrow i'm really excited i'm going through a personal journey i'm trying to get my shit together, girl. It's a, it's a whole thing, but I'm happy to, um, I'm happy to open up because I think at the end of the day, you and I probably, or there's probably a lot of people who resonate with what we talk about, but just have never been able to speak out on it or ignore it for their own sake, because it does take such an emotional toll to be outcast and ostracized by your fan group, by your social circles and, you know, by your family. It's, it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we're all learning. And I think, you know, these kind of things, this is why it's important to have these kind of conversations and just to have connections with people and to maintain connections with people. And that's something that I've been trying to work on too, is just making sure that the people that actually value, the people who, you know, gave me confidence to be who I want to be and who I'm turning into be, to make sure that those people are staying, you know, close enough where I can lean on those people if I need to and have them lean on me if I need to do that. So I'm glad that we've been able to stay in contact and, you know, I love, I love your glow up. You're fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I was going through your, your Facebook. uh, I was like, I need to do some like background research because I was like looking and it was just so funny. I was like, damn, she's so pretty. Like you just like, you owned your shit. I feel like we both did. Like we both really came into our own when we, when we got out of the toxic environment of being told no. No, absolutely. I think yeah. that's totally true. I think it just really does take like 
you know, just feeling having that supportive group that's there for you. And that, like I said, like I will keep saying it, like just really feeling seen, seeing, feeling valued and feeling like you can be yourself unequivocally. That's like so amazing. And it does wonders. So, I mean, thank goodness we didn't peak in high school. <laughs> <laughs> like so many people, you know, yeah. I know. I think, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. It's important just to get out. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah it's just important to get out and just see the world so you understand that there's so many different perspectives and lifestyles and experiences that you have no idea about, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. So um, I have a, I have a question because I was a little like, so doing this, I've had to kind of confront a little bit of anxiety and nervousness of just about putting myself out there, con- contacting people that maybe I don't know and seeing if they're interested and kind of just being like, here I am, would you, do you accept me? Do you want to be on the podcast? Do you think what I'm doing is effective? And then having people say yes and no. So when you're, you went to Stanford, you went to, you're at Columbia. Those are really competitive schools to get into. And those are, there's a lot of pressure. I, I mean, I would assume as far as the whole process of applying and interviewing and that kind of stuff. So I guess my question is how, where do you find the confidence to put yourself out there like that? And you know, because it is not because, I mean, it could be, you maybe, you know, things don't happen the way there's, you want them to happen and that's fine. But, you know, I was just, it's, it's a lot. I know a lot of people who probably would like to do those kind of things, but are just scared of the rejection. So how do you find, um, how do you find strength to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny that you asked because I feel like I have like quite a crippling fear of rejection. <laughs> so, um, but I think that, I think that, um, at least when I decided to apply to schools I applied to in high school, so um, apply to go to Stanford, I think I honestly felt, um, I mean, now my, I have two older siblings that sort of paved the way for me and, and opened those doors, so it felt more honestly attainable. I don't, mm-hmm. I think if I were the first, if I were the firstborn in my family, I don't know if I would have gone to Stanford. I don't, I don't know if I would have had um the gall to to dream that big like my older brother did which I right. think is critical um and and my parents too you know being supportive of us in that way I think it starts it starts at a young age being you know like parents my parents were so amazing and they were so supportive and they validated us and they and even when we weren't getting that in the classroom maybe mm-hmm. uh, you know we could get it at home and know right. that we were know that we were kind and that we are special and that we are smart and that we are worthy of, um, you know, going to these schools. So I think, yeah, I think definitely that gave me the confidence to do so. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I think applying to uh, law school, that was actually that process and my very close friends know how painful a process that was for me because it actually um really almost stripped me of all the confidence that I'd worked so hard to build um so it was tough I I struggled with the LSAT like no other I just couldn't get the hang of it and and that was really really tough for me um I had never really I always felt like if I put my mind to something I could do it I'd always you know I'd been I'd been told by my parents I could do that I had my track record had proven so 
And so the LSAT was the first time that that really wasn't the case. I, I was putting so much time and effort I felt, but just wasn't seeing the results that I thought I should have been seeing. And so it was really tough. I was like, I was not good emotionally, <laughs> mentally, physically. I, um, it was tough. And ultimately I took it twice. I ended up taking the LSAT twice, um, canceling my first score. And the second time getting a score that actually made me fetal position <laughs> when I opened the email how bad it was. Wow. So um, to me, at least. Yeah. Perspective. So it was a bad score to me. And so I didn't know what to do. It was like, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. I don't know. I, I can't get into the schools I would like to get into with the score. At least that's what I thought. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but I was encouraged. I had people in my life who, you know, were, I think the, the common thread in this conversation is just people who support you and validate you and, and tell you that you are good enough, right? And, and constantly having that told to me, I think, again, um, it, it instilled at least some confidence in me to just try. It was like, a, you know, let them say no, don't say no um, for yourself. So that's right. the approach I took. Um, and so I applied pretty broadly and, and ended up like doing all right. I got into Columbia, which is like my one of my top top three um schools and I was shocked I I was absolutely shocked when I got the acceptance um letter because I really had told myself that that voice in your head that is just like always ragging on you it was just like telling me I'm not going anywhere you what's your what's your plan b you're a fraud you're an imposter all those things and so to Mm -hmm. get that acceptance letter um it really was um it was an incredible feeling, but also like, I think after that, I had to sort of do this work of like, um, I, I'm just making sure that, you know, who I was wasn't wrapped up in the score I get or the school I go to, the schools I go to, you know, and that's an ongoing process. But I think that's super important to like, just not let my score doesn't define me and, and really internalizing that. My LSAT score doesn't define me. Where I went to school does not define me. Um, you know, how, whether I do well on a cold call, that doesn't define me or whether I bomb a cold call, that doesn't define me either. I did that last Friday. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think it's just, it's an ongoing process, as I said, and yeah, working on it every day. It's cool to, um, well, before I say this, let me preface. So I've been, um, I've been doing a lot of like reading lately because I, (laughs) I feel so stupid. Like, I love the library and I had never really been a library person before and not like a bit, I was never really even a big reader, but I started writing poetry because the visual stuff just kind of, the visual arts just kind of got like muddled with the Instagram culture and like trying to be up on everything and then just putting stuff out there, putting in free work and not really getting any kind of reciprocation, which is a lot of the struggle anyway. It's just like, it's like, I mean, it's good for making and it's a good practice, but at the same time, you know, it wears you out and it's a lot of work for not a lot of reward and so instead of like for a while I was trying to do like the Buddhist Zen thing and say you know the journey the struggle is the journey and like the satisfaction is the journey which is true but sometimes you know it's nice to have a little bit of validation so I took a break from that and I hurt my foot over the summer and I had to have surgery and so it was just like a whole shift it was like a huge like lifestyle change like in a month it was insane but that being said, I really got into reading and I started um, doing just, I mean, just started working on myself. And so I watched this Netflix uh, documentary from last year and it's called, 
I forget what it's actually called, but the woman who does it, her name's Brene Brown. I don't know if you've heard of her. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And so what she talks about is stepping into your power and Mm -hmm. taking that leap. And, you know, I've always, I have big dreams, I guess you could say for myself, or I have big visions. I have a big goal. You know, I, I see myself doing a lot of different kinds of things and maybe not particularly staying in one area or, you know, just things that I would like to do. And, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a lot to like step into that power into like you're saying, put yourself out there. And when things do not go the way you thought they were not attach yourself to that as being that thing, or even honestly, like for my, for me, it's like when things do go well, not attaching yourself to that and to be finding a balance and finding a whole person outside of other people's reactions to what you do. So it's interesting to hear your perspective on, you know, even applying to law school, how that is really similar to like when I put, when I make work or like when I, you know, do a piece of work for somebody or whatever it is, I feel like it's exactly what you're talking about. That self-saboteur is just like in your head, you're not going to, it's not good enough. Nobody likes it. Nobody's going to see this. And then, you know, sometimes things don't work out, but sometimes they do. And just being, finding like your whole self through all that is, I feel like that's a good journey to, like you're saying, it's, it's constant work. I don't think it ever goes away. And I feel like the more success you have, the more, probably the more difficult it becomes and the harder the falls are. But, um, I was talking to PJ and she had, I asked her to, cause you know, I was like, how do you deal with success? Like, how do you deal when, when you do make a big change in somebody's life? Like when you get somebody visitation, they haven't had it or whatever, you know, whatever the case is, how do you deal with that? When people are like, thank you, you changed my life. And cause I've had people comment and, you know, come to me and say, you know, the podcast is really helping me or it's even weird just to have somebody like send you a message and be like, wow, I really enjoyed this podcast and it made me want to do X, Y, Z and making another something that I'm doing kind of for pleasure and for my own benefit, also benefiting other people. It's just really magical, but it was like, it's been kind of a very strange experience to deal with that. So PJ said that she creates a file and it's her like hooray file or something and just memorializing those positive aspects and those good things. And so I've kind of been thinking about that too, but um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's cool to have, I don't know, being doing what I do. So isolating because it's by myself and you know, you're in school. And I feel like when I left school, it was like, whoa, because my social group like diminished going to China diminished obviously because the language barrier and there's not a lot of expats that are, you know, doing the same thing. So it's a lot of, it was like, like really small. And so I feel like through that isolation, I kind of got in a tunnel of like, this is my own thing. And nobody else knows what's going on because I haven't talked to anybody else about it and nobody can relate. And, um, but it's cool to see, like, honestly, that it's not, you're not alone. And like you're saying, it's really important to have that group of people who are by your side and being authentic with them and opening up and knowing who you can trust. And actually, I mean, a lot of that's knowing who you need to stay away from too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I yeah. don't know. It's a, I'm glad to see that. I don't know. We're not always alone in what we think in that, you know, even though you and I are on very different paths, we have, we want to help people. You want to help people. I want to help people very different means of helping people, but also similarly just having to stepping into your power and having that, you know, mm-hmm. like gumption to say, okay, I got it. <laughs> like I'll do it. Absolutely. What do you feel like motivates you? What do you, when you get up in the morning or 
what what do you see that says like oh i gotta change that i gotta fix that i gotta get on top of that like what do you feel like is the fire yeah i think um i think now it's tough because law school as i'm saying it's it's been quite the transition and yeah i think it's humbles me it has humbled me very quickly (laughs) um in a way that I think is good, but I think to answer your question, like going back a bit, like to um, early on in the pandemic when there was so much happening and we were seeing just like the disproportionate impact of this disease on, um, you know, black and brown communities. And then mm-hmm. it's being all the racial injustice, the, um, the police killings and, and also just random people killings of yeah. black people um, and just seeing it and being bombarded with those videos and those images. And it was actually really hard. I, I remember in like, I think around April, May, maybe this is when everything really started to pick up. Yeah. Um, maybe like April. I just, it was really tough. I, I was crying a lot. I was just like, you know, really just, feeling pretty despondent because felt like you know we were we're literally I felt like we were seeing the same thing happen over and over and over again and kind of felt like I don't know what's going to happen but this summer was really amazing to me because I really started to see that there was an impact I mean people were we were starting I was starting to see people really listen and people um who haven't engaged in these types of conversations finally doing so. And I, and that was, that made me really hopeful. And so I think that was like my motivation towards the middle, middle, beginning, middle of the pandemic. I was just like posting on my social media and, and having conversations with people and, um, you know, calling people in at my job, we were really starting to reckon with how, you know, um, we have been complicit and through our research and, um, you know, subjugating um, black and brown communities and, you know, how we are not an anti-racist organization, you know, having conversations about that and, and how we're going to become one and, and, you know, discussing what an anti-racist justice policy research portfolio looks like, you know, yeah. and what are some of the projects that we've been, that we've done that are actively harming black communities, like really, really starting to have those conversations and, I felt empowered to speak up in those conversations. Um, and so that was, it was such a motivating time. And, and I think like with the election and, and everything that's happening, I actually think that the pandemic has been honestly, obviously a, it's terrible. It's killed almost 180,000 people at this point, but I think it forced people to stop, which is like, so it was so, so necessary. Yeah. Um, because I think it really made people stop and, and realize, um, you know, that this isn't okay. The way that this country is operated is not okay. Um, and it's not sustainable and we can do better and we can do better. And so, um, yeah, that was a really, really motivating time for me. I was getting up, I was reading articles. I was like reading all these scholars and, 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 and sharing them and feeling just so energized. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to find that motivation <laughs> again. It's just like, it's tough because, you know, it ebbs and flows and felt like there was a lot of momentum and I'm sort of like feeling like it's starting to ebb again, which is disheartening. Um, and I just mm-hmm. also have that time to engage because um, I'm a student. So right. yeah, that was like a huge thing for me. 
that motivation it does ebb and flow i mean but i think also like for you and for and i'm just gonna say in my perspective too just starting a big project like law, law school it's not necessarily a project but it's a, in in the way that i'm considering it. it's a huge project and it's a big feat to get to be like it's through the motivation that you're doing all of this but like it's slow i can imagine you have so much stuff and it feels so slow i've and that's that's whenever i usually start getting antsy and i start getting you know kind of like i don't know if this is the right thing to do there's not this isn't what i thought it was going to be it's not moving as quickly as i thought it was going to be so i mean you know i mean do do you have tools that you are kind of trying to find out to keep yourself like pushing on, keeping on, or is that just like something that you feel like it'll come later? Um, yeah, I think I'm actively searching for, open to learning what those tools might be in law school. I mean, as I said, I think I sort of like underestimated how tough it would be um, and how much of just like a, like a fire hose situation it is. It's literally oh, yeah. just from a fire hose and you don't, there's no time to breathe. And it's just like that. And the semester's just starting and I'm already feeling behind. I'm like, it's day two. How am I behind? <laughs> so yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been tough. But I think that, like I said, I'm actively looking for ways to, you know, stay motivated. I, I talked to two L, so I talked to like upperclassmen and, you know, they give tips and like, they really have like, um, they've really, really highlighted the importance of just having that community um, and, and leaning on them. And I think that that will be critical for me because I, I'm, I'm a fairly um, extroverted person. And so I know yeah. that it will be like important to, um, you know, have people there who, who intimately know <laughs> what the struggle is yeah. and, and, and can just be there for like solidarity and just like um, knowing that we're in it together. So I like that too. It sounds, it sounds very similar though to your experience of like when you went to Stanford and you were around people who had your similar like background and things like that. So also finding a group there and then now finding a new group, but similar kind of, you know, parameters of just people who understand what you're going through. Yeah. That's good though. I mean, I think that that's just really important. And especially during the pandemic and quarantine, it's been so, I don't want to say easy, but it's, it's easy if you're not extroverted like I I thought I was extroverted and I was very extroverted growing up and um but as I started making more I kind of got introverted because I wasn't really finding the group that I wanted to so I got a little bit bitter and was like well screw it I'll just do it myself and that's not really helpful either so you know putting in the work to put yourself out there putting in the work to meet different kinds of people within a certain sphere where you can eventually be like okay I really like this person or you know we're connecting well or xyz and then being able to benefit from their experience is so important. Yeah. So, okay. Oh, you know, I think that's mm -hmm. what I found. Like, it really does take, like, as you said, opening up and just being vulnerable to create that connection and to build trust and to create and really find that community. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, such an important part of trust building, I think. Oh yeah. It's, a, it's pretty powerful. Like honestly being so that's where I found a lot of my um, strengths. I found, you know, I thought that I was going to do one thing and I thought that my life was going to be a certain kind of way and then things happened. And then I got into this mode of like, I'm just going to make art and I'm not worried about anything else. And that was good, but I didn't really feel like I was in my space. I felt like I was doing something that I like to do, but eventually it wasn't sustaining me in the way that I thought it would be. 
And eventually I kind of got to the point where I feel like my power is to be vulnerable. My power comes from being like connecting, having conversations, um, talking, and also making other people feel comfortable, making other people feel seen and that they matter. And so it's super important. Um, I mean, you know, every, everyone matters and, you know, everyone, you're, everyone can benefit from each other. And I feel like that's also what we're learning too. And I, it's weird to think that we're what age we are. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I don't feel as old as I am and I, I feel older than I am, if that makes sense. And it's, hard. it's so like, I resonate. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. I mean, honestly, it's just so strange to be, cause I don't know. I'm like, I don't know anybody who is my age doing exactly what I'm doing. And also, I mean, I'm sure being, in your community, you probably found some people, you know, when you were at work or, I mean, I don't know what the demographics of, you know, who you're working with, the age range and things like that. But, um, well, I guess I can ask that. I guess I'll ask that question. When you were working, um, did you find that the people who you were around, were they around your age? Were they older than you? Like, what was the community like? I would say that Urban's pretty, <clears throat> it's pretty young. Um, I, there are a lot of, there were a lot of people. So, um, that who were around my age, so like 22, like, cause you know, you, um, urban hires people straight up undergrads, so like 21, 22, um, to like, I would say like 30, there's a huge chunk, um, uh-huh. of, um, urban, I think is in that age range, but then you have your older folks, um, the ones who've been there since it opened in 1968. Wow. <laughs> like, literally helped found urban and it's still kicking still working so yeah it's like um i don't know the exact breakdown but yeah i felt like i had my people we were like all uh, i have some like lifelong friends that i made at um urban so um so yeah how fabulous Mm -hmm. i'm i love that that's so cool and also i feel it's it's really dope that you were able to connect with people one on a personal level and also connect with people who understand your perspective and have like are working towards a similar goal that is not self-based you know what i'm saying like it's not like you're yeah. working on wall street you're like oh my god these sacks people we have to go and get drinks after work because it's so crazy it's like no you know you guys are actively working for um a bigger purpose and then you know i'm which i mean and also i think being around intelligent people is probably a very good thing to just like to keep your mind working to be active and to keep learning keeping learning mm-hmm. is just a huge thing too um yeah so i think cool. urban self-selective when it comes to like you know who who applies to come like because it is a nonprofit, um and um it's a nonprofit that goal at least the justice policy center is to use research to um you know create positive impacts I would right. say um but uh yeah so it does tend to you know you know attract more progressive people um you know people who are you know who do or re- interested in research or interested in policy or interested in using research and policy specifically to affect change so like yeah um I definitely think that they're it was a good, it was a good first job in that way. Cause I, it was so easy to find people who care about what I care about. Yeah. Like, Cause awesome. we all did, right. And, and some, well, mm, actually not sure. <laughs> we did not all care about the same right. thing. There were some people who were in it for the research and research alone. <laughs> like 
um, think it's cool. So, <laughs> um, so like, okay. do research on like body-worn cameras and, and cameras in black communities and surveillance and all this wow. kind of like, no, not using that, like, you know, mm-hmm. have, yeah. not really having a racial justice lens that a lot of right. other people that I connected with had. So I do think that, um, yeah, there were just, it was so easy to find people. Some of, in fact, there were some people who were just like so liberal. I was like, whoa. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> for even me <laughs> but also just like are so on top of it know literally everything about you know what's going on in politics or you know know like one of the best friends I made is like um she is like a cop she's like a self-acclaimed like communist <laughs> or like socialist and like yeah and like and she like I learned so much about that <laughs> like what that looks like from her and yeah, so everyone's like, I met super eclectic people who, you know, know so, like, are just brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm really grateful for that experience. I think it's also important to note, too, that you were saying that, like, even within this kind of like-minded group of people, there are diverse opinions, even within that. So it's not just like a prescribed one-size-fits-all kind of thing. Like, people are very, I don't know, informed people are so easy to talk to you know I mean and it's like not to a point where you go you can have it's not like to say if you're informed you're not going to have an argument with somebody you're not going to have a disagreement with somebody but people that can just speak on how they feel and not say it to be performative or not say it to be a part of a group but honestly like believe and live their truth in that way mm-hmm. it's so um important just because I feel like you get to, you see those people and you're like, oh, okay, this is what it looks like. Or, okay, this is what this version of that looks like. It's a little bit better than just a broad kind of like, oh, I hate capitalism. So I'm a liberal socialist, but it's like, do you know what that exactly that looks like? Do you know what that means? And do you know how we get there for your country? Like if you wanted to start now and work towards that, what does that mean? And a lot of people, I don't feel like put that much thought and depth into it that I'm around, especially, but I love to hear that your experience was um, that you found people, you know, that you could communicate with and that you have some lifelong friends that you made. Like, that's really awesome. Yeah. I'm really happy about that. I'm happy yeah. for you, Ketch. Um, so I'm going to shift a little bit to what, what the future looks like for you. Uh, when you finish law school, what do you see yourself working in? Like, what do you want to push for? Where do you see yourself being most effective? Um, yeah, so I, it's interesting because I'm getting that question a lot because I'm like, you know, in orientation and reading mm-hmm. a bunch of questions so, and, um, I'm very much fairly interested, interested in public interest, public service. I actually have a fellowship, um, that guarantees that I enter into public interest and public service upon graduating. So no big law for me, <laughs> no corporate for me. Um, but yeah, I just, I, as I said, um, I think broadly, I just really want to ensure that, you know, communities of color, Black communities have, um, you know, are, have the resources um, in their communities that they need to thrive. I think like very high level, that's what I want. I want um, to ensure that, you know, Black communities, communities of color are not um, systematically excluded from, you know, the, you know, to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, right? Like, yeah. And, and so, 
right now that translates to me. I feel like the criminal legal system is top of my mind and transforming that. And so I'm really interested in restorative justice. I'm really, um, I characterize myself as a prison abolitionist. It was a journey to get here, but I am here now. Um, yeah. I am squarely, um, I don't think that the prison system works. I think that it does more harm than good. And I definitively think that, and I know that and there's research to show that. And so right. I think that um, I'm really excited to be part of this reimagining project and, and actually thinking through what, um, what it might look like, a world without prisons. And I think it starts at the community level. It starts at ensuring that um, people have what they need to mm-hmm. proceed in whatever way that success looks for them. Um, and, you know, and, and um, you know, in restorative justice, I'm learning about that and, and transformative justice and, you know, what accountability. So when someone commits a harm, um, and there's a victim involved, what accountability looks like outside the criminal legal system. So thinking about, you know, ways that we can hold people accountable um, and ensure that they do not commit that harm again um, without, um, you know, stripping them of their human dignity. So right. I, that, that's, that's what I'm really passionate about right now. Um, I don't quite know what that looks like. I know that why I came to law school is I wanted to have more of a direct impact, but also feel like I want to have a system level change effect as well, or be able to affect system lo- systems level change. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what job that is. Um, right. it, may, it might not exist. And so I'm sort of like figuring that out for myself right now. Um, That's hopeful. I mean, I feel, I love that though. I love that you are motivated and that you are, you know, focused on certain areas and, you know, it is, it's a lot of like, maybe, maybe it doesn't exist. And there's a lot of scariness and adventure and finding out what that looks like eventually. And if you have to build that, then you have to build that. Or if you had to carve that way, but you know, you're like, you, you are a trailblazer. You, you and I have had a lot of crap thrown at us and had a lot of otherness happen to us growing up. And I mean, I think that really builds a strong, will of like regardless of what other people say like I'm very I know what I want I know what I know who I am and it's not because I feel like you know when you're not a part of a group or you're not so easily like slipped into a group you really have to figure out what do you really care about what do you really want to do so Nicholas he uh, he's an ESL teacher right now but he's I think I told you he's considering law school because he's also in the same kind of journey of where he doesn't know he sees even in his own environment and how the school is, how it's so systematically disproportionate to the white students versus the BIPOC students. Like it's awful. And he doesn't have any like black students in his classes at the moment because he has like a heavily Latino and Hmong students. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think he, he's kind of on the same journey. He just wants to know how can, I personally affect change, you know, like whether that's immigration law, whether that's working for Southern Poverty Law Center or working for the ACLU, something like that, you know, one of these bigger organizations. Um, yeah, just like getting, I don't want to say boots to the ground because it is a hard, it's a lot of work. Like he works a lot. I'm sure you worked a lot. Like it's not, it's not a work ethic thing, but it is a lot of its effectiveness and figuring out like where you are effective. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. I mean, I'm just uh, very, I'm interested to see where this goes. And also I'm interested to see 
how our generation continues to grow in that way. You know what I'm saying? I feel like we, our age, our generation is so, it's really diverse in opinion, honestly. There's a lot of like, there's a lot more spectrum of opinion. And I think also having social media, having things like kind of going back to what you said earlier, a lot of images of violence, a lot of images of, you know, just, and well, and like exposure of systematic racism and all of these complexes, like the prison industrial complex, military industrial complex, these kind of things where we, like the research is out there, the research is accessible. And a lot of people put in time, a lot more people have put in time to understand these mm-hmm. structures than I feel like my parents did or my grandparents have ever done. And then mm-hmm. and also a lot of saying, um, like a lot of questioning the information that they're getting instead of saying, okay, this is how it is, or I heard this on the news, so this is the XYZ really saying, what is the lens? What is the perspective? And honestly, I don't know. I feel like for me, wokeness is hard. And this is something that I've heard a lot of people talk about. It's like, especially here in the South. And I mean, I'm sure you see it a lot too, but just like the whole, like, let's even go back to Stacey Abrams running Mm -hmm. and the whole, and Brian Kemp literally stealing the election and all like that, that whole thing. It really, it, it was, it was heartbreaking to see how that turned out. Like it was really, really disheartening for me because I like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. What to, I, I know what I want to do. I don't know how to help. I don't know what I can do. I mean, I can. And so my big thing right now is getting people to vote. Like I, like in a couple of weeks, I'm right before, you know, registration ends, I'm going to go out and make sure that people are getting out to vote. Like, you know, just because I have the time during the day to actually go out and do that. Like, getting my feet on the ground, getting myself out there. And um, thank you. (laughs) I mean, it's just, that's what I feel like I can do right now without, without stealing somebody's experience, without making it about myself with like literally just being an agent of change for some, for other people, because I know that my agency, my skin color gives me a lot of privilege that other people don't have. And that, you know, and not that being gay is fully accepted, but like there's even been a huge transition in the past five years, 10 years, which I think you could, you mean, you sure, I'm sure you know, like, and you saw it. Um, Well, you know, it's funny, actually, sidebar, whenever my mom is a teacher. And so she told me that whenever I started the Gay Straight Alliance or whatever at the school at Greenbrier, that like other schools adopted that. And so there's like more Gay Straight Alliances at the schools and the and I didn't know that that was a really big moment of like, oh shit, like I can actually enact mm-hmm. some kind of change and not, cause I, I and it wasn't ever about that. It was just kind of like, I feel like this needs to be done. And this uh-huh. is where they ate. This is how I, you know, this is how I can do it at this moment. But I don't know. I think right now my mission is to, you know, educate myself to empower other people. And a lot of it, and especially being a media producer, making content, making videos, making images, like what is my role, especially like wanting to start a creative studio where I'm working with companies and I'm working with individuals to create media that will be seen. What is my role to help ensure that it's not pointed towards a certain way, that it's not racistly subvertive, you know what I'm saying? And I think when, um, when all this stuff was happening in May and June, the way that I tried to help out was I like offered services to black owned businesses locally. Like if you need an advertisement done, like I'll do it for free. Let me empower other people that way. So I've been thinking a lot about just 
the codes in which that we are surrounded by and like the microaggressions that we never even hear and just being, it's just a lot about listening. It's a lot about letting other people talk and saying, and shutting the hell up and saying, okay, like, <laughs> even if it makes you uncomfortable, because at the end of the, in, like, if it does make, I mean, I don't know if I can say that I've like heard somebody say something that I'm like completely uncomfortable with. I'm like, I can't listen to this. I'm going to go away. And I mean, I'm sure I get uncomfortable. I'm, I've had experiences where I'm like, oh shit, I do stuff like that. Or like, oh wow, that's, that's, I've done that before. I didn't even realize what yeah. happened. So, I mean, I think for me, it's just kind of like, instead of get and there's the thing of like white guilt right and it's like instead of saying oh well poor me i did all of these things i had no idea it's like literally just shut up and continue to empower other people and continue to um use your agency in a way that just empowers everybody and empowers i I don't know i'm like really big into this empowerment thing right now because it's important i mean i feel like the the structures that be the powers that be right now are trying to hold on so tight because Mm -hmm they know how loose it is and how it's slipping out of their hands every like sand so fast and the the harder that we pull to get things in a more progressive equalized equitable direction the harder they pull in their direction like where donald trump took out the um you know the race training in the federal systems recently what the fuck i was just like it's sick and it's it's just it's like Ugh. But the thing yeah. is, it doesn't, their attempt to oppress empowers people more. It fires people mm-hmm. up more. And, you know, I think it's been a hard year and I, it's been, it's been a hard year for everybody, but, you know, it's just, um, it's so important to be knowledgeable and even like things like uh, food deserts and especially with the coronavirus desperately uh, affecting black and brown communities. And even this, like, I didn't know this, but I mean, I knew this recently, but it was like, I think black women are four times more likely to die during childbirth than mm-hmm. white women. What? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's sickening. Mm-hmm. I don't even, it's like, how do you even, I don't know. It just, it blows my mind that, and it, I think the thing is like, we don't talk about it and no one wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to acknowledge the history. And when I mean, people are over here starting to hold on their, their fucking Confederate flags, like, come on let's move on it doesn't matter that much and i don't know yeah i want to move on now it's all about power when it comes down to it and, yeah that's true and everyone is and, and people are terrified they're terrified of losing um you know their their power and so they are as you said holding on to it so tightly um but i i do think that we the momentum is in our favor and that Mm -hmm. i i do think that um we're just i think the i I don't know i'm going to go back and forth because my friends like sometimes will call me like cynical but i actually think in this way i'm pretty optimistic (laughs) i'm really i am optimistic about like where this country will be in five to ten fifteen years right maybe realistic (laughs) but like i do think that there is some um I see some like system level transformative change on the horizon that, Mm -hmm. you know, will drastically improve people's lives for the better. I really do. And I don't think it'll be at anyone's expense. That's the thing. I think a lot of people, like a lot of white people are terrified that, you know, that empowering communities of color is at their expense. And if you are thinking that way, then I think that 
you know, that person has work to do, right? A lot <laughs> because, of work to do. Yeah, because it shouldn't be like no. that at all, right? So um, we're all better, right? If we right. all are able to fully access like the life liberty, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, our dreams, our goals, right? Like we're mm-hmm. all better for that. So yeah, I don't know. I know. I, it's like weird. There's a lot of, um, I don't like what America is at this moment. And I don't like what a lot of people look at the United States as and living abroad, their perception of what the United States was. And, but I'm very, I'm a big believer in the American dream of that. If we want to build it, we can do it. If we want like, if we strive for different things, like as communities, we individuals, we have, we should have agency. We should have, um, opportunity just to pursue, whether that be equity, whether that be me become, you know, be having a show, whether that you becoming a high powered attorney, whatever, you know, it's just all of these things. I believe in that. I believe in that American dream. And I, it's interesting because I had a conversation a while back with this man. Um, we're talking about climate change. It wasn't really directly related to, you know, um, racism, but uh, he said, he was older and he said, you know, I'm really excited to see what happens after all this is done with. And I was kind of confused and I was like, you know, it's cynical thing. It's easy to fall into cynicism. It's easy to be like, okay, well, the environment's fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these people are just trying to stay in power. These people are becoming disenfranchised. So, that, you know, people are cheating so that they can mm-hmm. stay in power. It seems like there's a lot of like looseness and a lot of like, oh my God, what can we do? And he said, you know, I'm excited to see what you guys build when all of this is done, what, you, what your future looks like. And that gave me a lot of like excitement. I mean, it gave me a lot of perspective shift, you know, because at the end of the day, like these people, I hate to say it, they're going to die and we're going to be the people. I I mean, I'm not, I'm not being rude, but like they're, they're old, like they will die one day. And then you and I will be the people who are 50, 60 years old. And that like, (laughs) we're going to be the ones and all of our representatives hopefully will be younger and more diverse. But event, you know, if it, if things stay the same, like our representatives will look like us when we're that age. So It's interesting. That gives me hope because I don't feel like there's going to be, I hope God, I hope not, that there's a point where I like have a flip in my head where I'm like, no, screw it. I'm just going to be a Republican or I'm going to be conservative. Like, I hope that my mentality, which I'm planning on it, will stay the same up until in being grown and then also rearing children, maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm only, I mean, I'm like rearing my cat right now. So, and she's Republican. I'm trying to get her to, I'm like, girl, you can't be like that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I'm just saying that like, you know, empowering the youth, it's a lot about, um, it's it's just, it's about the kids. It's about future generations. It's like creating pathways for those people to be successful too. And I feel like you're doing the hard work. You're putting in the hard work. You're putting, you're stressing yourself out. You're putting yourself out there. And, you know, not that like, it's about you individually or about anybody individually, but you know, there, it's so awesome to see that there are people who, are empowered and motivated by the change they want to see the world, like be the change you want to see in the world. And that's such a, it's, it's powerful. It's a real thing too. What you said earlier, just like about getting to be in, you know, that what that man said about like us building whatever we build, he's like interested or excited to see it. It, It's just like, it's actually true. I'm actually really Mm -hmm. excited about that. It's like, reminds me of this tweet. Um, 
I saw like a few months ago, uh, some, something along the lines of like, what a joy and a blessing to get to imagine a new world. And I do feel like that's where I we know. are. Right? I just chills. Ooh. Yeah. Like it's we're so really beautiful. like, yeah, we, I feel like that, that is where we're at right now. And it is, it's exciting. It's exciting. I think it's a privilege really to get to be in this place where we can collectively imagine a better world for ourselves for our children, for our children's children, right? And I think right. like it starts now, it really does. And it starts like, you know, with what we each are individually doing in our community to make it better and, um, and more equitable and, you know, and uplifting and empowering all those things, so. Yeah, I'm really, I know, I'm excited. Like, it's cool just to, it's good to know people who are also you know, trying to be the change and like that it's and to spread that positivity and even that positivity will empower people to be like, okay, yeah, like maybe I can make a difference or maybe I can build the future I want to see. And like spreading that mentality of like, we, you know, we have, we have a good opportunity to change things and turn things around. It's about damn time. Oh my God. Like, oh my God, it's insane. Um, before we go, I do have a question. I think because we we have we've had a really productive and heavy conversation but you know these are necessary so what do you do when you want to like escape a little bit and like have some fun or you know get out of this like like not that you want to escape always and not you know pay attention to it that not is always salient but you know sometimes it's good to get out of your head it's good to get out of thinking about how much work needs to be done so where do you where do you go what do you do um so tip pre-pandemic I was an avid gym goer and so I've had to sort of like figure out how to work out um from the comfort of my home so that's been I over the pandemic I was doing um this um online program it's called PRX it's based in New York um Mm -hmm. one of my best friends that's her gym and all pandemic he would do these five-day challenges they're five days super intense but it comes with a meal plan but you do it like um, you know, from your home and, and again, community, right? You get like a Zoom, you do it with them. They're building you up and they're supporting you and they're like making you, holding you accountable. But it was so fun. I did, I did it for like three weeks um, during the pandemic. And that was, that was a nice way to sort of just like zone out and put and zone into a 60 minute, really intense workout right. um, twice a day, plus like a fast You're working out three times a day. Ooh. I had a crazy transformation and you're only eating lean protein and veggies and eggs so it's just like I yeah the weight the trans the body transformation was pretty insane in five days so plug for pure egg <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. Uh, promo code what's cool I'm just kidding <laughs> um but also I started listening to a podcast called um girl trek and um it is these two black women morgan and i'm forgetting her name i feel really bad about that but two black women who um every every um day you listen it's like a 21 day kind of thing you go on a 30 minute walk and in those 30 minutes they just like highlight some dope black ass woman and like in history like amazing incredible shit um you know and it's just like it's amazing it's so empowering to hear you know all here, it's like historical, right? Because a lot right. of these women are from like the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, like Shirley Chisholm was the last one I listened to. It was all I about her. her. <laughs> like, She's and, amazing. 
yeah and it's just like amazing to hear them talk about talk about these really amazing powerful black women for 30 minutes and also just hearing there's something about like hearing like black women's voices it's really comforting <laughs> and it's just like it just and I'm I'll like so I'll go on a 30 minute walk and I'll just like zone in and just like listen to them they're just like it's full of affirmations and it's mm-hmm. all about like stepping into your power and but also sort Are of like feeling, yeah, yeah and also like filling yourself up as well and like yeah. knowing this this is a long and painful journey at times and it can take so much out mm-hmm. of us so like making sure that you replenish yourself in whatever way so I think like listening to that podcast has been really amazing as well what's it called again girl trek girl trek okay cool yeah p-r-e Mm-hmm. love it yeah. awesome well thank you for your time um it's been so nice to talk to you and i hope you'll want to come back you know after maybe like during the summer when you're not working so hard you have a little bit more brain energy and a little bit more perspective we can revisit some of the stuff we talked about yeah. hopefully it'll be different we'll have a different president yeah. I think hopefully <laughs> hopefully we'll have kamala <laughs> <laughs> Bless you got it. You've got to pray. <laughs> <laughs> pray and vote. I know. Pray, pray to vote. Vote. Pray yeah. that everyone else votes. Please vote. Exactly. Vote. Vote. Please, everyone vote. Please. Like, make sure you register. Get the absentee ballot. Do what you got to do. Yeah. Like, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Bye. Thanks again for listening to this episode of What's Cool, an exploration of learning and connecting through our passions. Would you like to get in contact with us about your passions? Do you know someone who'd be a great guest for the show? Send us an email at whatscoolpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at whatscoolpod or on Facebook by searching whatscoolpodcast.